1: And hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue profiling the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. And we are talking about uh, a really important historical story that has not been told and has not been shared very often. And it is not known by a lot of folks when it comes to uh, our understanding of American history, particularly Revolutionary War history, and the title of the book today is called The Taking of Jemima Boone. It's the true story of the kidnap and rescue that shaped America, and it is set predominantly right in the middle of Kentucky, right in the heartland of Appalachia, Kentucky, and joining us today is the author of this outstanding new book. His name is Matthew Pearl, and he joins us as a writer whose novels have been internationally uh, recognized as well as recognized by the New York Times as bestsellers. They've also been translated into more than 30 languages. He edits the Truly Adventurous Magazine, and his nonfiction writing has appeared also in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, and Slate. He's been named a Best Author in Boston Magazine's Best of Boston issue, and has also received the Massachusetts Book Award for Fiction, and we're glad to have him on today because this new book, The Taking of Jemima Boone, is his nonfiction debut. So, Matthew, welcome to Now Appalachia. So good to have you with us, and I appreciate you being on the program today.
2: Thank you, Elliot, for such a nice introduction
1: and for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So, I'm so excited about this book because I'm just so impressed that so many uh, journalists and historians like you are uncovering stories about the American experience and about American history that maybe uh, a lot of us have never heard about, even if it's about figures that we're connected to. A lot of us have heard about Daniel Boone, some of the urban legends about him and the actual historical story, but this is about uh, this is about his daughter, Jemima. So I wanted to ask you before we kind of get into the book specifically, set the scene for us. The book opens up July 14th, 1776. We're just about 10 days after the, uh, uh, the Declaration of Independence has been ratified and signed. Um, and we come across 13-year-old Jemima Boone and two of her friends, Betsy and Fanny Calloway. And we're in this Kentucky settlement of Boonesboro. So tell us a little bit about kind of where we are, what's going on. What would Boonesboro, Kentucky, or what we know now as Kentucky, have been like during this period in 1776?
2: Yeah, well, this was really the first moment in which the settlers and colonists were, were making a big push into Kentucky and wanting to stay there. So there were various expeditions over the course of of the years preceding this. And this was a kind of turning point because there had been a series of treaties between settlers and American Indian tribes that seemed, and I use, I stress that word, seemed (laughs) to give legitimate authority for settlers to to go in and and really build really well let's use that verb really settle in in kentucky so um one of those treaty one of those important treaties was in 1775 and daniel boone as well as other frontier leaders were present and they were kind of given the go-ahead to go back to kentucky boone had had made several expeditions of various successes to explore Kentucky. This time to go back into Kentucky and really put down roots. And so, as we get into 1776, uh, we're we're witnessing the building of a settlement and a couple a couple settlements, but the, the most significant one being named after Daniel Boone, Boonesboro. And Boone is there. His family is there, including his daughter Jemima, his his wife Rebecca. And that's what brings us to. Uh, to catching up with Jemima and her friends that you mentioned on the Kentucky River, it was it was not an easy existence as they were trying to uh, to uh, build and protect their their new their new home their new setting. Um, on on this day when we find Jemima, it's a Sunday. It's a day of relative rest. Uh, there's no there's no um, there's no religious figure, no minister or preacher, really, among them. But on Sundays, they try to observe uh, the the Sabbath by by taking it easy a little bit, by by resting more. Uh, in this case, Jemima and, and her two friends decide to go on the canoe. There's only one canoe that the settlement has at this point, on the Kentucky River, and that's when they run into to some trouble, which is uh, what starts the the story of the kidnapping.
1: What got you interested in this story?
2: Great question. I, I'm not necessarily the, um, the obvious person to have come to the story. Uh, you mentioned a few of, of um, my connections to Massachusetts and the Boston area where I lived for many years. I now actually live in South Florida, which is where I grew up. Um, I have always been very interested in where literature comes from. And as you were kind enough to mention in your introduction, I, I, uh, much of my writing background is in fiction. Over the years, I've shifted more and more into nonfiction. So where that all comes together is that I was, I'm always curious, what were the inspirations for, for this book? Whatever book it might be that, that we might've grown up with or I might be discovering, you know, name it and I'd be interested in it. The Great Gatsby, um, whatever it is. In this case, it was The Last of the Mohicans. Um, I had become curious, sort of, what the sources and inspirations for that had been. And one of those was the kidnapping of Jemima Boone. So, as I discovered that and started to research more and more of that, I became really intrigued by it. And, you know, one rule of thumb I have as a writer, as someone who, who travels between fiction and nonfiction, as I know you do as well. Elliot is, and and it's it's a, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting position to be in as a writer when when you're when you're kind of making your your journey through both of those worlds because they're they're interconnected in all kinds of ways and they're also very different in some ways. And my rule of thumb is, if something can be told as nonfiction, then it probably should be. Right? There's there's plenty of stories that can't be. Um, you know, I think of the story of Spartacus. We know so little about Spartacus. Uh, you, you can write, obviously you can, you can write nonfiction about it, but you, you'd keep getting stuck. It, It would be less narrative. It would be more analysis and, um, kind of speculation, right? Um, so some things really call for considering fiction. In this case, it really screamed to me that it deserved to be told in, in a narrative format, first of all, um, meaning storytelling, right? Because it's just a great story in itself. It's dramatic, it's suspenseful, it's unexpected, it has twists and turns. And because we have wonderful sources for, for this period, we're, we're very lucky um, for, for those of us who like to read or write or both about the frontier, there, there's really a, a wonderful array of primary sources uh, it's. I determined to to explore the project um, as a, a full blown book, and, and was fortunate enough. You never know. You you never know when you get started on one of these projects. You you could very quickly, or it could take you a long time, run into a brick wall and say, you know what? There's just not enough here. There's not enough material, or the story kind of stops in its tracks because real life isn't like fiction. It, it often just kind of stops. Right. <laughs> I was lucky to find that that it was just it was just overflowing with with really exciting material and it became a very gratifying project and you talked about the
1: sort of the westward expansion and in, in life on the frontier one of the things I loved about your book and it, it comes up so often in the story as we follow Jemima's kidnapping and as she Uh, tries to assimilate with her kidnappers and kind of in some ways um, sort of starts to like them a little bit. Uh, Sort of the Stockholm syndrome that some of us are familiar with, where you kind of uh, start to see your kidnappers as maybe not the the worst people that you thought they were. But one of the things I loved about your story, and you brought it up subtly at, at various points and in various chapters, is kind of the mess that the frontier is because you've got the Boonesboro settlers, which includes Daniel Boone and his family and others. You've got sort of this war that's going on between them and the Shawnee. You have the British kind of in the background that are egging all this on because they would love nothing more than to see the colonists get into a war uh, with, with the Shawnee and with other tribes. And they can just kind of sit back and clean up the mess after it's over. Um, And you talk about how, how both the, the frontiersmen, the settlers and Uh, the Shawnee and the other Indian tribes have suffered so much loss, personal family loss, Property loss, uh, just death and destruction everywhere. Um, but at the same time, you know there is this desire to keep pushing the frontier forward. And, and we meet someone uh, early in the story who I found really fascinating, and that was Hanging Mall M A W or Mao. I'm not exactly sure how that may be pronounced, but um, you know she's the one that realizes Jemima Boone is connected to Daniel Boone, and it's kind of her idea. Uh, in against this backdrop of everybody fighting and kind of two-timing one another and trying to gain leverage over the other, comes up with this idea that, um, you know, she could uh, bring peace to the tribes and the colonists by maybe using Jemima as this pawn or or using her in some way uh, as a negotiating tool. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of the the backdrop that all this takes place where everybody's kind of uh, looking to gain an advantage and an edge over someone else, looking for the other to make a mistake, and then you know, sort of capitalizing on that, all that all that drama going on there. What's, what's happening there and, and who's really trying to jockey for, for what position and when and why is that all important?
2: Sure, thank you for asking. It's an it's a incredibly rich tapestry of, of power struggles that we find in the frontier and much more complicated than many of us uh, kind of conceive of or grow up learning about. And there's no purely good or purely bad groups or actors here and and what's also i think important for us to uh, to put our arms around is that there's no there's no one monolithic uh, viewpoint within the group so the tribes each tribe is, are, has people individuals factions that lean one way or the other, or have one belief or the other about their relationships with uh, with their neighbors. Same with the colonists uh, or settlers. Um, so it's a really the British. So so it's a as you say, it's a mess in in, in so many ways. And the um, Hanging Ma is a leader of the Cherokee, who who meets uh, Boone and Boone's family while they are constructing the treaty. In 1775, that that sort of propels the settling of Kentucky. So it's really interesting that that part of this uh, this war party that we find uh, encountering Jemima and her friends includes Hanging Ma, who knows that Jemima is related to Boone. Now, why is this important? Uh, you use the word leverage, and that's exactly right. Um, the tribes are at risk of losing their way of life. Now, that that might sound Dramatic or even melodramatic, but it's quite true that as the the settlers are pushing through. And by the way, I'm 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 using the word settlers at least at this moment because even that's very complicated. Um, because we're we're just we're crossing over into the the uh, the American Revolution, so it's 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 even tricky to know sort of when when a group becomes colonists. Um, or shifts over to to becoming sort of revolutionaries or insurgents, right, against British. Um, it, it's also interesting because the the group that is settling Kentucky is essentially outlaws, because the the colonies are saying you can't. The sorry, the British are saying you can't do that. So, and then we enter the the American Revolution and and the the sort of burgeoning. Uh, American government um, is also saying you can't do that. So, so we're, in, we're in an especially interesting kind of avant-garde here with, with these settlers who are pushing into Kentucky. The, the tribes count on this, this area for their resources and particularly for game and hunting. And what's happening is that the settlers are killing particularly buffalo, uh, or, or, or bison, um, but they call them buffalo. Uh, they're, they're just wiping them out in numbers that nobody has ever seen. Even Europeans who visit, there are a couple of Europeans who cross through at this time, can't believe it. Um, and even Daniel Boone is very alarmed by it. He becomes part of a committee to try to stop it. So, so the tribes are in this crisis, the local tribes, so that it, which include the Shawnee and the Cherokee who use this land for hunting they're in a crisis and when they see the opportunity to take Jemima and her friends knowing their connection to one of the most important frontier leaders, Daniel Boone, they grab it. They grab that opportunity and literally grab these three young women starting essentially this, this if we wanna think of these as, as a group of various nations, the the burgeoning Americans before, before the war revolution is over, the British, the tribes, It's really almost an international incident that is sparked in that moment that they grab the girls.
1: Very good. Very good. We're speaking with Matthew Pearl here on this episode of Now Appalachia. His new book is called The Taking of Jemima Boone the true story of the kidnap and rescue that shaped America. And and Matthew, we'll come back to the book uh, in in just a second, because I've got so much more I want to ask you about what's going on in in this fantastic story about Jemima and her uh, experiences. Also what happens to Daniel Boone and his friends uh, when they go to rescue her. But I wanted to ask you um, just a couple of questions. Um, I I know there has been sort of a a discussion over the last five or 10 years about history and who's writing it and all of that. And, um, uh, one of the things I loved about your book is that, you know, one of the things we learn, you know, I think from your book is that while, you know, a lot of us think of the revolution as, you know, the the the, the creation of the Constitution and George Washington and John Adams and Alexander Hamilton and all those larger than life figures uh, in the founding of America, there are so many other things going on in the colonies and that you had a lot of, you know, politicians and militiamen and people like, um, Boone, who were kind of pushing the frontier further west, uh, discovering new territory. And I was wondering, uh, it, it, when you think about that, writing about that, um, and thinking about just when you, I feel like you, you, you think as a reader or a, a historian or someone that likes history, that everything has been written about a certain time period. Uh, you know, there's still new stories to be told. And I, I'm just wondering, as you were writing this and putting this together, if, if you felt that uh, that is something that, that was a drive for the book in terms of, you know, telling a story about someone who is connected to someone more famous, but uh, the impact that her story had, did that put any pressure on you? Did you feel like you had to tell the story, you know, in in a certain way because you were connected to a, to sort of a legacy character in Daniel Boone, but also telling a story that, uh, was more important, but didn't involve, you know, sort of a head figure
2: there? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think it's, it's helpful in some ways, um, to To have a, a, a household name connected to your story because it gives you a bit of a head start and in this case Daniel Boone, a bit of a head start in introducing your readers to uh, to a, a what what 's inevitably a, a pretty large cast of characters and and a, a complicated political situation so i I viewed having daniel boone as um, as part of the story as a real strength and benefit. Um, at the same time, you, you do want to bring something new to the table. And for me, as a writer, I, I, and all of us can have different, different preferences. We gravitate toward as, as, as writers, as readers, I always enjoy really zooming in on a story and, and really crafting the shape of, of that story. Um, in this case, the, the entire chain of events takes place in about two and a half years. So for me, that will be more exciting to write and to read than something that say covers, you know, 40 years, um, as important as, as, as that can be and, and so often is, right, to explore. For me, I, I really get invested in, in, that, in that more confined, more contained story in which we can really travel very carefully and closely with a set of characters um, through a, a specific journey or journeys. Um, as it is in this case, so, so that's what got me excited about this is that um, these these events are often sort of shoehorned into much larger explorations and studies of of the frontier of Kentucky of Daniel Boone. Right, you might pick up a six hundred page biography of Daniel Boone and you can find a couple paragraphs or a couple pages on this. Um, but for me, I get really excited to 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 zoom so closely in on that that I can I, I could do my best to then bring all different elements to life um, of the of of the the surrounding environment of the various characters, um, including in this case Henry Hamilton, for example. He's the British leader who is trying to provoke as much as possible the tribes to turn against the United States. So you can really dig in to say, okay, what is Hamilton like? Well. I, I, he loves to sketch the Indians, for example. So he has this strange dynamic where, on the one hand, he's he's manipulating them; on the other hand, he's kind of an appreciator. But just just to give one example, but it, but having having the luxury of zooming in on this on this specific story lets you really luxuriate in those kinds of details that you wouldn't be able to do if you're more at a bird's eye view level.
1: And were there any? historians or peer texts or peer sources that helped you tell this story or helped you write this book or that you felt like were really helpful in terms of kind of maybe giving you some background or some context into what was going on here? What what was a source or two or a, an author or two that was really helpful to you in putting this book together?
2: Sure. Um, I tried my best to rely uh, on primary sources. Um, and we're, we're fortunate that there's there's a whole um a very deep bench of primary materials and manuscripts and letters from this period thank thankfully uh because there were a few collectors of frontier information um not so much writers specifically more kind of connoisseurs and really obsessives about preserving the history not long after it happened and daniel boone himself um because he became famous in his own day was chronicled and written about and interviewed um, at the time. We have very little that he wrote himself, uh, but but we have a lot that people started to write about him. Um, so I so I tried to stay as close as possible to those primary sources, but there but but I also was fortunate to be able to go to Kentucky. Um, it, it was a, a really nice way to do it for me was I brought my son who at the time was probably eight or nine, my my oldest um, and he, he just loves uh, American history, loves specifically tribal history. Um, and he sort of became my research assistant as I did my own journeys um, through the settings of the book. Um, and, and also I, I was very appreciative to, to scholars and writers. Um, one example is uh, Harry Enoch, who is a Kentucky writer and editor, a newspaper editor. Um, who writes about Boone and, and studies Boone in the frontier? Really, he he writes about all kinds of frontier material, um, and he's been very generous answering questions when I had them to run by him. Um, there's also a gentleman, uh, a professor named Colin Calloway, who um, specializes in in the in the Indian tribes. Um, so that was that was very helpful. That's one of the most challenging. Parts of writing a story like this because the tribes themselves, for the most part, did not did not document their histories in in the way that that the the colonists slash settlers did, um, because the traditions were more rooted in oral storytelling, um, and intergenerational uh, storytelling that gets passed down. Um, so so it was very helpful to to have uh, to have a couple people as well as a couple of great books to to kind of be in conversation with
1: The Taking of Jemima Boone is the book we're talking about today here on Now Appalachia. The author is Matthew Pearl, and he's joining us as we continue to profile both uh, this outstanding new book and this new contribution to a very important but unknown story of American history, especially the American Revolution. And we're talking about his uh, career as a writer as well and how he put this book together. So we'll go back to the book for just a second, kind of move the story along a little bit and ask you a couple more questions about it. You know, one of the things I learned too is that prior to all of this, with Jemima being kidnapped, and you mentioned this, is that uh, Boone lost his oldest son to kind of this this battle going on between the the British and the and the, the settlers and the Indians. Um, but one of the interesting things I love how you tell the story of of Boone and some of the Boonesboro settlement men uh, going on the hunt to get her. That they find out she's gone. They kind of figure out where she where she is and who may have her. Um, But what's really interesting is that Boone and his men are kidnapped by the same tribe that have her. And where she is kind of able to assimilate and survive, not every one of the settlers is able to experience the same fate. Can you talk a little bit about that and, uh, you know, how Boone was able to make it out, but what happened to some of the uh, settlers that came along on the rescue party?
2: sure um and you're absolutely right there, there's a there's a, a group of rescuers that that follow the trail of jemima and her friends um and interestingly enough um they're the father of the other two girls fanny and betsy calloway is named richard calloway and he is really boone's rival so this this um this mission to rescue the girls also becomes a contest between these two leaders and they're very different types of leaders. Um, so they, they have to follow the trail of the girls kidnapping. And, and I saw the story as, as kind of a chain reaction that starts with the kidnapping and continues through several events. One of those events is the rescue itself. Um, and without giving too much away, uh, during the rescue, um, there are two of the Indian captors who are killed one of whom is the son of a major chief in the Shawnee tribe. So this is far from over, even once the rescue mission has been carried out. And exactly as you point out, part of the blowback from that is a, another kidnapping that comes to pass of Boone and a couple dozen other settlers from Boonesboro and the surrounding settlements um, and they are taken into the tribes. What's one thing that's really interesting is that the kidnappings were, were seen in, in various ways, even within the tribes. And one way, one way that, that it was viewed was as reparations for those members of the tribe who have been killed by settlers. So Daniel Boone is actually seen as a replacement for the son of the chief, that's killed in the rescue of Jemima and her friends. So it's a a very different way of thinking. We might think there would be a drive for revenge against Daniel Boone who pulled that trigger. Instead, he's incorporated, or at least the tribe attempts to incorporate him as a substitute for that member of the tribe. So what tended to happen was the, the settlers who accepted uh, their role in the tribes, once they were kidnapped, uh, were able to, to survive it. And those who fought against it were in much more danger. And then because there, there are still wars going on or battles going on between the tribes and the settlers, um, everything be- keeps being jumbled up and, and alliances uh, shift. Um, and and it's, a, it's a fascinating glimpse into how these communities are both clashing and kind of combining with each other to the extent that some settlers who are taken at various times into the tribes don't want to leave even when they're when they're given the opportunity and some members of the tribe who find themselves as part of the communities of settlers uh, really integrate themselves into that and not always through ways we might think intermarriage certainly happens but even as individual members, um, there there are examples uh, in, in in the book of tribal individuals who become uh, critical allies and advisors to to the settlers and and to the revolutionaries.
1: Very good. So as readers get to the last page of your book and they kind of close the back cover and set it aside what do you hope they take away from it? What do you hope is the, the big takeaway or a key idea they walk away from this story, uh, thinking about or understanding or realizing as they step away from it?
2: Uh, that's such an interesting question. You know, I, I hope that first and foremost, um, I always feel it's the responsibility of a writer to, to immerse his or her reader into a journey and to really feel that you've been transported um, and, and had a new experience um, walking in the shoes of, the, of the, the person or the people in the story and are entertained. So, so I hope first and foremost that a reader will, will, will keep turning the pages and, and not want to put the book down um, and feel that they've been brought into a world that, that, uh, that they haven't been before. Um, and beyond that, I, I hope that there's some similar takeaways that I had in in working on the project, which is that there's there's such a rich a rich and complicated um, uh, dynamic that existed for so long that there was not this this sense of any of it being predetermined uh, or predestined of how how America would turn out, um, what shape it would take, how the tribes and the, um, and the settlers would kind of resolve or not resolve their differences. So that's part of what's most fascinating to me is to see all of the, the various futures that those people were trying to enact or imagine or fight against or fight for, um, and, and very often do, doing so in, in, in flawed ways, including Daniel Boone. There, there's, no, there's no kind of valorization of any one individual um, I think Boone had his heart very much in the right place, but he also made, uh, he also made choices that, that we could be very free, I think, to question. Um, and of course, it's easy to question almost any historical choices from, from a vantage point many years later. Um, so looking back at 1776, when we're sitting in 2021, of course, we can interrogate um, all kinds of, of political and personal choices. But it, you know, I, I try personally never to inject politics into my writing. Um, I'm not a very political person at all to begin with. And, and for me, it's really about telling the story and then hoping that that, that lets us find the people as people. You know, as, these are all human beings who, who were, were excited and challenged and struggling with, with their surroundings. And, and to me, that's, that just makes for a very interesting experience.
1: So, Matthew, as we finish up our discussion today, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, the taking of Jemima Boone, uh, how can they reach out to you and get in contact with you,
2: first of all, and where can they get copies of your book? Oh, well, I'd love to hear from from any of your listeners who who gets a chance to to read the book, which which could be ordered from, um, from whatever your favorite source is. Um, a good starting point, if, if anyone wants to see more, is just my website, which is just my name, MatthewPearl.com. And that has more information on the taking of Jemima Boone. Uh, it has a spot where you can go to, to a link and order it from, from any variety of, of places. Um, and it will also bring you to where I am on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, if, if any of those are your favorite ways to to interact and, and to discuss uh, whether it's this book or, or or books like it.
1: The title of the new book is called The Taking of Jemima Boone, The True Story of the Kidnap and Rescue That Shaped America. Our guest today has been Matthew Pearl. He is uh, an award-winning journalist. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He's had work featured uh, not only in the Times, but also in the Boston Globe and Slate. He's been named a best author in Boston Magazine's Best of Boston issue and has also received the Massachusetts Award for Fiction, the Massachusetts Book Award for Fiction, and he's given us, in this debut of nonfiction collection for him, a fantastic step back into a really pivotal point in our nation's history, right on the cusp of independence, right on the cusp of the uh, Declaration and the Constitution and the ratification and everything that we know about, but telling us more uh, about a character and a figure in history in Daniel Boone, and but more about uh, his, his life and his livelihood and, and what happened in uh, uh, as a father in, the, war, in the, the role and steps that he took uh, to rescue his uh, daughter, Jemima, who had been kidnapped by Indians during the uh, frontier expansion. So Matthew, it's a fantastic book. Congratulations on it. Uh, and we hope you'll dive into another history history topic soon. Uh, and if you do, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Elliot. This was a pleasure. We want to take a moment as we finish up here on Now Appalachia to say a special thanks to the executive producer. Of Now Appalachia and also the executive producer of the authors on the air global radio network her name is Pam stack she makes sure that all of these podcasts are up and available and makes everything possible behind the scenes and we appreciate all the support and uh, technical assistance and program advice that she serves and gives as producer of all of our podcasts that you listen to here on the network so Pam thank you so much, we also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the air global radio network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. In the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope.
0: Listening to now appalachia this is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the air global radio network for questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host elliot parker and his books visit his website at www.elliotparker.com stay tuned more outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the air global radio network